Hi, this is the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and I work with family businesses to help them to navigate the highs and lows that can come with working with your family. Each week, I will share insights and experiences from my own work and from other advisors from around the world. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. If you want to find out more about the show, just head over to fanbizpodcast.com and you can get in touch with me there and find all our previous episodes. If you're enjoying the show, I'd be very grateful if you'd leave me a review in iTunes. It helps others to find the show and it gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling in my belly. Just head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash iTunes and follow the link. Anyway, it's time for this week's show. Enjoy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and I'm joined this week by Joshua Nacht from the Family Business Consultancy Group um, based over in the States. So firstly, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, everyone. Um, and we are talking today about um, a concept on a book that you have written that uh, focuses on family champions and champion families. But before we get into the detail around that, perhaps you can give our audience an overview of who you are, what you do, and how you came to be doing it. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a interesting field, working with family businesses and family enterprises, and certainly one that I know a lot of people have had different paths to. Um, so... I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, in the western part of the United States near near the Rocky Mountains. And uh, my dad was a dentist and my mom was an art teacher. So I got kind of an interesting mix of my dad's more scientific dental side and my mom's more creative artistic side. Um, and after or during college, I, I had a real life-changing experience and I did a 90-day semester course with Knowles, which is the National Outdoor Leadership School. And... Um, that really led me to being interested in wilderness skills and backpacking and navigation. And what it led to was leading uh, wilderness-based trips for about five years. Um, and these are trips mostly with adolescents, teaching wilderness skills, uh, leadership, you know, self-reliance. And during these trips, I really started to get interested in personal growth and group dynamics. Um, I wanted to work deeper with people so I ended up getting a master's degree in counseling from Naropa University, which is based in Boulder, Colorado. And um, I ended up working as a counselor for a, quite a while, working with individuals, uh, but then also working with families. Uh, so I got a piece of family systems and really started to understand uh, family dynamics from a counseling point of view. Um, that work led to an interest in how organizations function. As I worked with different organizations as a counselor, I really started to wonder why are some organizations such great places to work at? Uh, and some, nobody likes working here. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> people said, okay, well, that's uh, organizational development, that's organizational psychology. And I started to really think, okay, I like working with individuals, but I really would like to work with whole systems. This there's a parallel process then in that I'm part of two family enterprises myself. Um, okay. One that my dad started, he bought land in the Vale Valley, which is a resort valley in Colorado in the early 70s, and then developed it in the early 90s with a business partner. 
So where it was property development, now it's property management. And it's actually two families that own it and together. So uh, multifamily business, actually. And then two siblings from the other family manage it on a daily basis. And then in 2004, I married into, uh, when my wife and a guy, my wife and I got married, I married essentially into her family business and started to become more involved in shareholder meetings and really started to understand what this business was that her grandfather started in 1942. And it's a technology company making uh, radio frequency devices and systems, components and systems. So these are components generally traditionally used in uh, television and radio broadcast, but as broadcast is going away, it's used increasingly more uh, in cellular wireless systems, in police and fire radio systems, and then also in the semiconductor industry, making chips. Because when you make chips, you use radio frequency and you have to be able to measure and monitor it to very, very high degrees of precision. Uh So I uh, ended up serving on the family council of this family and then eventually served on the board of directors for this company. And so that really gave me a lot of exposure to family business sort of theory and governance function and what it means to be part of a family business. And so when I started to get interested in organizations, somebody, John Ward, who's, you know, kind of founder in the field, I was taking a a course with him at Northwestern and started to talk with him about my interests. And he said, well, you know, instead of just looking at organizations and organizational development, maybe you should look at family enterprises and working with them as a specific system. And uh, the the light bulb went off, Russ. (laughs) It It was one of these moments where I was like, yeah, I can, I can do that work. And I think I could be good working with families. Uh, I don't have a business background per se, actually a business background at all. So I looked at, well, how do I break into this field? And I ended up doing a PhD in organizational systems where my whole focus was on family enterprise mm-hmm. as a unique type of system. Uh, I was able to study with Dennis Chaffee, who too is one of the first people in the field to really look at family enterprises as a unique system and mm-hmm. develop some of that theory. So I had a great opportunity to study with him. And uh, basically everything we're talking about with family champions and champion families was formed as part of my dissertation. And uh, that was uh, a really fortuitous opportunity to be able to do some unique research and to be able to come up um, with some interesting ideas that now I'm able to to take into my work with families. Yeah, absolutely. And Dennis has been on the um, show. He came on and and spoke about the study he does on 100-year-old families, um, which I guess ties in a little bit um, with the work that you've done um, as well in terms of families that have um, demonstrated longevity and, and things like that and, and common traits, um, which we may get into um, later in the show. Um, but let's start with a, a very basic um, question. Um, that doesn't mean the answer is going to be um, simple, but the, what is a family champion? This is, I mean, and this is the core question and, and basically a family champion you know, is an individual who's taken on a notable leadership role as part of their family, part of their family business, 
uh, and they really help catalyze and inspire and organize the family to be the best owners that they can be. Now, what that means in general, and I'll, I'll back up in one second, but in general, a family champion is someone who does not work in the business. Okay. People who work in the business, their main focus should be their managerial uh, responsibilities, their leadership of the business. Mm-hmm. What I found are family champions are people who are a family owner, they're a definite stakeholder, and they have taken on a real role leading the family. So I think just as you have leadership for the business, you need leadership for the family. And that's really where the family champion comes in. Let me, let me give an interesting tie-in with Dennis because you mentioned his Good Fortune Project, which mm. are 100-year-old families. And so I did some of the interviews for that research. And as I was doing these interviews, I realized I was talking to somebody. I was talking to a number of people who played this interesting role in their families. Right? They were chair of a family council. Maybe they served on a board of directors, um, but they really had taken on this role of leadership in the family and they were doing, they were a very active, engaged owner, but they didn't work in the business. And as I talked to this type of person from multiple families, I started to get really interested in, okay, what is this role? How does somebody get to do this role? And what kind of person are they? Right? Why have they taken on a leadership role? Mm. So these questions led to a whole research project around what I started to call the family champion. Uh-huh. And um, I knew I was on to something when I started to have to find people to, to interview. And I, what I would say to people in the sort of family business world at conferences and people that Dennis helped me network with, you know, I described the role of the family champion. They're, they're a real notable leader in the family. They're very engaged in governance. They've, they're doing these things. Here are their characteristics as I see it. And you could see people light up. And people would say, oh, well, I think that's me. Mm-hmm. Or people would say, oh, I know who just who you're talking about. You need to talk with this person. And even in a brief description, you could see that it resonated with people. And when people said, oh, you have to talk with this person, yeah, they nailed it. And mm-hmm. I was like, yes, that person is exactly the type of person I want to interview. And then they would say, oh, well, you should talk with this person from this family. And it was really cool because I started to see, all right, this idea has some merit, it's got some traction, and people really know what I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. that was a good validation to go deeper into the, into the research. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm assuming that um, to, to become a family champion, you don't just turn up one day and go, I'm going to be the family champion now. It, it needs to be a, a much more th- thought out process. So where, where would somebody start if they are thinking, actually, I could do this role um, with my family business? Yeah. And this is a great question because what this really speaks to is the, uh, the sort of emergence of a family champion, because you're right. It's not the sort of role that somebody says, oh, I want to do that. I'm going to do it. They emerge naturally into something like this because often in families without clear leadership um, you know, of the owners of the family side, what I found is that there's four main ways they evolve uh, and, and really take on this role as a family champion. And one is there's a transition, right? There's a transition of leadership at the business, transition within the family. And what that does is creates this opportunity for somebody to step up and say, how do we manage this transition? 
you know, dad's going to retire. What's next? And they start to, you know, ask questions and step up and say, whoa, well, we need to do more as a family if we're going to manage this. In some families, and this is the second one, there's a leadership void, right? And there's nobody leading and somebody who has more sort of engagement and wherewithal and vision says, well, wait a second. If I'm, if, if nobody's going to do it, like, let me, let me restate that. We can edit this one out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, geez. If I don't do it, who will, mm-hmm. you know, if I don't step up and help lead the family, who, who will. And so these people then start to become more and more engaged as leaders by asking good questions, bringing in more uh, resources, by bringing in educational ideas, and really they, they take the initiative of their own accord. And then in, in some cases too, people, family champions are encouraged by somebody in the older generation, by somebody, uh, leadership in the business who says, well, you know, the family needs to help get more organized. The family needs to be better about their ownership responsibilities. Maybe an older generation member says, I can't do it, but hey, could you do it? Mm-hmm. You know, and encourages or sort of taps somebody else. And then frequently too, um, I see family and champions getting inspired by reading a book, by going to a conference, by talking with other families and then other families who may have that type of role or who may be more organized, you know, they share. They, the families like to share with each other and say, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's the type of leadership role that I do. And somebody with that potential, their eyes kind of open and say, hey, we need to do that. I could do that. And so it does. It starts slowly. They start taking on more engagement. They start taking on maybe um, more of a formalized position. Because a lot of family champions, when they start off, they don't start off in a formal position. It's really informal leadership. Mm-hmm. And as they build trust and credibility in the family, then they might move into a more formal position of leadership. But rarely do they start off there. And in terms of the practicalities of what a family champion will um, actually do, and I don't mean on like a day-to-day, minute-by-minute basis, but as a general overview of... Um, what the family chairman, because you, you, it's clear they're not working necessarily in the business. They may own it. Um, they're not working in the business. So what will their role be? Will they go along to board meetings? Will they individually work with um, family members? How, how does it work? I, I mean, the answer is yes, all of the above. Um, they may work, commonly a lot of family champions end up working on a family council or an ownership council, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's the formal mechanism and forum for the family to make decisions and then communicate to the business. A lot of family champions over time will end up serving on the board of directors, like a fiduciary board uh, for the business. Mm-hmm. But generally, that's a position that's earned over time. Uh, they, they really don't start there. So I really have, um, and, and this came out of the research, both during the dissertation and then my work working with families uh, as a consultant, where I really had the opportunity to develop some of these ideas mm. and deeper, okay, what what do family champions do? And they do this on a both individual and group basis, sort of as needed. Um, and I really came up with seven 
big things, big actions that family champions do. And okay. this shows up in the book and we really highlighted this as a graphic, but they navigate family dynamics, right? Uh-huh. One of the things that set family businesses apart are these unique family dynamics and they are able to navigate those dynamics and shift them in a more positive way. One example of that is, you know, family champions started to take on a more engaged role and she would field all sorts of emails from family members. Sometimes they were a bit snarky, you know, they were a bit uh, short in tone or, or demanding. And she started to look at these emails and said, if, if we're going to do something different, I have to do something different here. So uh-huh. instead of responding to snarky emails with her own response, she'd pick up the phone and call people Okay, and, and would say, help me understand your perspective. You know, help me understand what you're looking for. Uh, and would start to talk with people. And that shift was profound in the family because it started to shift the family dynamics. Mm. And then she was able to do something different. And then when they came together, so that's like individual basis. Yep. And when they came together, she was able to appreciate different perspectives and, and say to people, look, if we just do what the second generation did, they were at the third generation of cousins. Uh-huh. If we just repeat what the second generation did, we're in real trouble. So as cousins, we have to make a choice. Are we going to do something different? Yeah. And that shifted the family dynamics. Brilliant. And that's an example really, isn't it? That um, in terms of nonverbal communication with emails, it is easy for that to be misunderstood and to quickly fire back a response and go, if it's a slightly snarky tone to it, that it, it's easy to react to that. But taking that uh, measured approach and going, actually, I'm going to make sure I understand what's going on here, um, allows, like you say, the family dynamics to operate in a smoother way. Yeah, emails are a great way to transfer information. Yeah. Uh, they're not a good way to do a process, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he was able to shift that to say, we're not going to do a process over email. We're going to, we're going to do information, but process requires uh-huh. phone or in person is much better. Excellent. Um, so family champions also empower others, right? That as they get more involved, they recognize they can't do it all themselves, nor should they, uh-huh. right? Because then it's too much one person. And so they really help activate and empower other people to take on roles that suit them. So they're really helping then motivate the larger family to do some of this development work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're good at resolving challenges, you know, this, whether it's challenges of family dynamics, uh, logistical challenges, challenges amongst family members. They're good at looking at challenges and knowing when maybe they need to resolve them individually, or it's a group matter to be resolved. Mm-hmm. And so they, they bring it they bring it into the light, right? We talk a lot about elephants. What's the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about? Yeah. Sometimes family champions are great at saying, hey, we all know it's here. Let's talk about this challenge so we can move on. Mm. Which is not always easy, is it, to, to actually point that out, particularly if there is an, an undertone that could be uncomfortable. It, to, to actually say, look, guys, we know there's something that's not being said here. Let's face this up. Um, can be quite a challenging position to put yourself in anyway in that position. It can be very challenging. And some family champions actually recognize that maybe they shouldn't be the one to do that. So they may bring in an outside facilitator, you know, somebody who's neutral 
yeah. to be able to tap into the the more touchy family subjects because mm-hmm. they recognize hey, if I bring it up, I'm not going to be able to facilitate us talking about that. Yeah. But let's get a resource to help us. Mm. And I guess the important bit is that somebody is recognizing that there is that elephant in the room or that it is that issue that needs to be addressed and taking the responsibility to to make sure that that is then dealt with. Yeah, dealt with in an effective way. Yeah. You know, so the family can move forward and and hopefully move on to be able to to do other work and not get stuck on this one mm-hmm. area. Yeah. Got it. Uh, another thing family champions do is they help create a shared vision. You know, they uh-huh. really ask, okay, what are we doing as a family? Where are we going? And how are we going to get there? But that shared vision is really important. Like, what do we want as a group of family owners? What do we want for this business? What do we want for the family? And there too, sometimes they can facilitate that process. Sometimes they need to bring somebody else in, but they do have a real sense of, you know, if we're going to continue to to own and operate this business, we need to be really clear about what we want as a group of owners and be able to communicate that to the leaders of the business in a way that's effective. They're also able to be able to um, integrate education. Mm-hmm. Right? One of the great things about the field of family business is that there's more and more resources for families than ever before. Absolutely. There's great articles, there's books, there's workshops and seminars and webinars and podcasts, you know, like this. Yeah. <laughs> We're able to share information amongst families, amongst professionals um, to really build our resources. And I, I think a great time for family enterprise because we don't have to reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. you know, we can say what's worked for other families and learn from that and adapt to each unique situation. Yeah. So family champions are able to take uh, edu- different types of education and different resources and bring it back to the family and say, Hey, let's read this. What does this mean for us? How do we adapt it to our situation? Mm-hmm. And in doing so they, they provide leadership. Yeah. And that's one of the primary functions of the family champion is that they are a leader and they help, you know, move the family forward in a way that's, that's specific to leading the family mm-hmm. and with some really good results. Yeah. The last thing that they do that I think is really important and it really fits with all of this is that they help improve communication in the family. Mm-hmm. Like in our first example where somebody says, all right, I'm going to, just do something different, they role model better ways of communicating. Maybe they bring in somebody to help them improve communication, you know, again, an outside resource. Maybe just the way they run meetings as a leader changes how the family is communicating for the better. Uh-huh. You know, so I think underlying all of this is that family champions in general help improve how the family is communicating so they can function better and, and achieve their goals. Yeah, and, and I think it's um, key to point out as well that having this role within the family it is it mirrors almost how the, how a business would be established. A successful business, if we take the, the family element out of it, a successful business will have an impassioned leader who will help pull things together, will help improve things on the, on the business side. And I guess what you're saying in terms of the family champion is that that person is there to do that for the family. The fact that they're in business together and, and may have an ownership group or 
some working in the family uh, in the business some not the role of this person is really to help lead and guide the family itself rather than interfere too much with the business is that right yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent is to help lead the family to help develop the family so the family can be a, a support and a resource to the business uh-huh think that what I saw in the research and I continue to see with families is that if you have a strong and aligned group of family owners that can really speak with one voice and speak clearly to the business, you know, through governance and through those effective means, uh-huh. it helps create more, su- more successful enterprises, Yeah, right? Because you have a group of owners who is aligned and solid and committed to seeing the business achieve its goals, whatever that is. Uh-huh. And the business then knows, okay, we don't have to worry about the family doing weird things that might affect the business negatively, uh-huh. financially, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. And I think the um, point you made in terms of shared vision, um, just how often we, we come across families who, are in business because they're in business together. They haven't actually sat down and gone, well, this is why that they haven't looked into it in any huge depth. It's just, this is, it's kind of what's been expected. It's, it's gone down from generation one to two to three, perhaps. And just reassessing that and having a, um, a, a new look at why you're in business together can help again, create some of that family harmony. I, I think it can. I think there's a lot of interesting work that can happen there as a family that can bring people together to really take a look and say, you know, there was a founder, it moved to siblings, it moved to cousins. And in a sense, there's some degree of, of, of revitalizing that vision mm. of each of these generations to say, why do we continue to, to own it? Yeah. We could, you know, we could sell it and we could all walk with, you know, X amount of money. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to do that. Well, why? Let's yeah. be clear about that. And let's have something that people can really rally around and be excited by mm-hmm. to continue to own this long term if that's what we want. But let's yeah. be clear about why we're doing it. And I think part of that too is, you know what? If there's a family member who doesn't want to be part of that vision, that's okay. Let's find an avenue for them to exit mm-hmm. their ownership. They're still part of the family, but maybe they're not an owner because they're not on board with that vision. That's okay. And I've mm-hmm. seen champions kind of help manage that process and make it okay for everybody involved if somebody wants to exit. Mm. And I guess as well, I mean, I'm using a, a particular um, scenario where um, there are family members uh, working in the business of, uh, effectively the managing director and, and what have you. Having that conversation with somebody who's not necessarily working in the business but is part of the ownership group and the family system means that you're, the decision doesn't have to just be about the simple merits of the business itself. So if a, a managing director is going, here's, here's what I think we can do as a business and this is the kind of ins and outs of, of what's happening within this business and somebody's being asked to make a decision on ownership based purely on that, it's a completely different conversation to the family sitting down and going, okay, why as a family do we want to own this? Because it's, it's not necessarily agnostic of the business itself, but it doesn't have to be directly linked to that business. Yeah, very. I think there is a link and they're separate. And it's yeah. sort of that clarity of having both, that the family owners a unique system, 
the business is a unique system and where they overlap, I think that's where governance plays such a large role, you know, mm-hmm. family council, board of directors, and the people like family champions who can really bridge those systems and, and help develop each of them to, to mutual benefit. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, I talked to one family champion and we're, we're going through the interview. She's sharing all these wonderful things that she did. And I was like, wow, you, you've accomplished so much. And she said, well, you know, this has taken about eight to 10 years. Mm. Like everything that we're talking about is, <laughs> that, you know, this is long-term work. This is not something yeah. that happens here. And there's been a lot of ups and downs along the way. It hasn't just been, you know, successes. We've, we've stumbled, we've had some hard conversations, but over time we've built it. And now you know, she, we were both kind of taking a look back at what they've accomplished and it's, it's significant. Mm-hmm. And is there a typical um, person with, that, that will become a family champion? Is it a, a spouse or somebody who's working within the business? Is it somebody who is perhaps um, a paternal or maternal figure within the family? Is it, can you be that precise about it or is it just somebody who can um, pick up the responsibilities and, and run with them? Well, I think this is a great question and this is something I really looked at in the research. Like how does somebody get there? What are their characteristics? What, what does it take, you know, to develop into this role? And so what I found is that commonly it's not the older generation, right? right. Commonly it's a rising generation or, or next generation sort of middle age type of person who has some previous career experience, right? They've done other jobs professionally. They've had other experiences that help predispose them to leadership, Mm -hmm. uh, to thinking systemically. And that really helps build some, again, that credibility within the family and some trust. So they've got some some prior experience, which is important. Uh, And they have really good Oh, I'd say age-wise, I think in my research, the average age was 46. Okay. Split between men and women. Uh-huh. And um, really somebody who also had, I think, some natural leadership tendencies, characteristics, but also is willing to learn uh-huh. and develop. I think okay. this is really important. And they also had the, the, I mean, really the capacity to be able to do it. Mm. This kind of ties into, you know, somebody working in the business may not, they might have all the skills, they might even have the the interest, but they don't have the capacity because their primary responsibility is managing whatever they're doing in the business. Mm -hmm. So these are people who have the ability, just the time to be able to do it. And I I think that's an important note. Um, Completely. And that was going to be one of my um, following questions was how much time does a family champion need to dedicate to the role in order to, for it to be effective because presumably it's not an afternoon every three months and um, everything's rosy. <laughs> As you say, over eight, nine, ten years, if this change is, is to be um, achieved, it needs some um, dedication. You know, it really does. And obviously every family is different. If you're starting governance and starting things from scratch, it's going to take longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're coming into something where there's a bit more existing structure it may not be as much time but you know with with almost every family champion they said this is a part-time job right and some people as they developed more said i carve out you know x number of hours a week or a month to do this Mm -hmm. 
one family champion finally went to her family and said, look, uh, if I'm going to continue to do this work, it, we have to treat it as a part-time job because right now it is a part-time job for me. I'm spending, you know, so many hours a month on it. And if we really want to do it right, um, you know, I can't continue to do this. Like I need to restart my career. I've got to do these things. But if we really want to do it right, could we treat it as a job? And the family ultimately decided to pay her. Okay. as a part-time job. And that actually evolved in this family into a full-time job with a salary and expectations and accountability. Okay. The family said, if we're going to pay you to do this, this is what we expect. Yeah. Really, that changed the channel in this family. And she, you know, they agreed what's the accountability, what are the expectations, what's the pay. And um, she said, you know, families who really, really want to see this work advance and develop, Mm -hmm. I think need to have, you know, the leadership of family governance as a paid position. Mm. And do you know in that circumstance whether it changed um, how they approached the role of family champion by moving to a kind of an official title with a, a salary and expectations? Because it would be easy to, if there's no measure or accountability to it, it it's perhaps easier to um, avoid certain things or to, to not face things up as much as you would if you are being held account, accountable to it. Did, did you get any sense of her changing the way she approached it as a result of sort of getting it as a full-time job? Yeah, I mean, she was able to dedicate even more time to it and was able to get a bigger view of what's going on, you know, because I think she had, we all have to prioritize responsibilities. And I think when it was informal or part-time, a lot of those priorities were, you know, getting pushed down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of a full-time, more formal position, she was able to say, okay, all of these are priorities. How are we going to tackle these in a way that's, that's organized? And, you know, this, with a lot of families, this movement from sort of informal leadership to a position of more formalized authority mm-hmm. takes place over time. I think it's natural and it helps build again, the trust and credibility in the family. So this person has got it. We know who to turn to. And it just becomes more and more professionalized, for lack of a better word, about what the family is doing with their ownership responsibility. And you know what? When it becomes more formalized, I see families really starting to succeed and take off with a lot of this, you know, sort of family developmental work. Uh And the best owners they can be. Yeah. It takes a lot. It takes a lot on behalf of not just the leader, but the family as well. Mm. Dedicated leader, I think it really moves things along. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's interesting that creating it as a full time role, it, it should perhaps be obvious that that would lead it to being more effective. Um, because it is then a formal position. Everybody knows where they stand in terms of when you're having a conversation with somebody who is a family champion, that they have a role to fulfill, that it is their job, their their priority is to to do those things, rather than it being, say, a sibling, a cousin who who might just be checking in and and in an unofficial or or informal way. And so it, it increases the impact of that role within the family. 
it, it really does because it moves it from, yeah, something that's informal or somebody just asking questions to something that's much more part of the structure. Yeah. And benefits are clear. And I would say, I mean, I do know a couple of people doing this full time. Uh, that's probably the exception. I think yeah. the um, is much more of a part time position. Uh-huh. Uh, people fit it in as other parts of their career. But even then, with part time, I've talked to a couple of people who just say, uh, you know, I really have to be careful about how much time I spend on this because I've got kids, I've got a career, I have a husband, you know, whatever it is. And uh, it, it then becomes somewhat limited. The family mm-hmm. that even in a part-time job say, you know, you will be compensated for your time. Uh, th- then they really say, this is a part-time job. I carve out this time and I really am dedicated to it because the family is holding me accountable. Here. Mm-hmm. I have responsibilities for this. Yeah. Absolutely. And in terms of the family business, um, sort of the age maturity of it, in terms of whether it's a, a founder business, second gen, third gen, is there an ideal time for families to start thinking about having a family champion? Does it naturally fit with, say, a um, sibling to, to cousin consortium type transition? Or, or is it, again, is that oversimplifying it? No, I think this is a great question because not every family needs a family champion. Mm. Right? So the system is small enough. Uh, you don't necessarily need this type of role. I think it emerges as families get larger and more complex. Uh-huh. But typically, first generation, the founder, the entrepreneur, is kind of the family champion because they're running the business and they are the inspiration then to say, okay, we want to pass this on to the next gen. Uh-huh. I find Sometimes at the sibling stage, this role emerges, but commonly it's, it's the transition from siblings to cousins where it starts to become even more prevalent. So I think it can definitely appear in the second generation, but I think as you move from the second to third generation, that's where it starts to become uh, something that I see even more common and needed. Mm-hmm. Because you know, the family is growing in complexity. The business might be growing in complexity. So the family has to match what the, uh, what the business is doing. Yeah. So I, I think in my research, the average was a third and fourth generation. Okay. I've seen some in, in a second generation, large families, siblings. I just worked in the family and, and there is a clear family champion and he recognizes, hey, yes, I'm second generation, but if we start this now, it's going to set us up so much better for the cousins, even though the cousin group is still, you know, sort of early adolescence. Yeah. And I guess yeah. when you get to kind of cousin stages as well, with siblings, they typically grow up in the same household. So they're surrounded by the same things day in, day out. They've got that relationship with their um, parents who, if they founded the business, they'll be surrounded by that as well. But when you get to cousin um, sort of um, stage with the business, they're growing up in different households and they might still be exposed to um, the family business, um, but not in the same way as if it was just in your own home. And that, again, I guess lends itself to the improvement in communication or focus on communication that the family champion would have is to try and make sure that there's n- sort of no misunderstandings, there's no mis-messages or lack of communication to, to a particular Sort of strand of the family. Right. And how do we bring together a group of people who may be not just growing up in different households, but might grow up in very different areas of the country? Yeah. 
you know, on in, in the States, if you live in different coasts, that's multiple time zones and thousands of miles apart. Mm-hmm. How do we develop relationships as adults? How do we develop relationships as a group of family owners now with an increasing spread of ages? Yeah. Maybe different values, different cultures, maybe different economic situations. Mm-hmm. So as the family grows in diversity, I see family champions really placing a value on building relationships as a group of family owners to help, again, foster that capability to be effective group of owners together. So helping organize family retreats, uh, you know, and activities is something that I see a lot of family champions doing to, to help develop strong family relationships in, in cousin stages and beyond. Yeah. And I think if you if we were to look at a contrast between a family that has a family champion in place and perhaps one that doesn't have that um, person in place and you get to the level of complexity that can come when there are large um, cousin groups involved, when they are split across multiple um, sites and, and, as you say, opposite ends of the country, sometimes in different countries and cultures altogether, that the addition of a family champion should only ever be a good thing, shouldn't it? I mean, I'm sure there's going to be cases where they've had minor fallings out and, and perhaps some not so minor fallings out uh, as a result of their role. But the, the intention is there. It, it almost um, helps set the tone for those people coming into the business that they have that family champion there as a, an example of why we're doing this. Yeah, I mean, I did encounter one fifth-generation family and they said wow we've never really had anybody like this it's like well how did you make it this far well mm. we just <laughs> maybe they didn't need somebody but now they said whoa now we need somebody and what else can we do you know that's going to make us even better yeah so i think that emergence is is because of a need in the family not in not every family necessarily needs it but i do see the families with this type of role, they tend to be better organized. They tend to be more aligned. Uh, they tend to be more clear in, in what they're doing and why and how they're doing it. And I do think it helps the businesses succeed. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where a lot of people get, understand the bottom line is that, hey, if we have a strong family that can be a really strong partner to the business and it helps the business succeed, well, that is, that's vital yeah, uh, and can help us be more financially successful. Yeah. And that was going to be my next point is again, in terms of what we're talking about with a family champion is somebody who helps um, lead the um, family side of things, but that's again, presumably only going to have positive impacts on the business side of things, because if you contrast it with something where there's perhaps conflicts in the ownership group can have a negative impact on the um, operational side of the business. Whereas if that's being taken care of by somebody within there, it's less strain on the business to have to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. And you can create better guidance to the CEO. You can Mm -hmm. create a, a stronger board of directors, right? A lot of families may start off with an all family board. Uh, well, that may not be the best, that might be a natural first group of people to be on the board, but that may not be the best group of people to be on the board. So I do a lot, I see a lot of family champions say, hey, business governance, let's 
create a board with independents, you know, and some family members, let's really hire people for their expertise so they can support and guide and help that CEO, you know, run a more effective business together. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a really key area that family champions can help develop and help the family understand why they're doing something like that. Mm. And I guess it's like a virtuous um, cycle then, isn't it? Because if the business is able to perform better as a result of having the family champion there, then perhaps the family harmony is increased and um, it leads to better outcomes for everybody rather than the opposite, which can often be a downward spiral into um, litigation and, and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. And that's what I saw in these families is that they could really start to build that beneficial cycle. Where the uh-huh. family supporting the business, the business succeeds and is able to support the family, you know, financially, not support like nobody has to work, but yeah. support the family through some finances, through opportunities. You know, this is an incredible opportunity to be part of some of these family enterprises, even if you're not working in it. And those, those opportunities and the benefits go far beyond just the financial benefits. Uh-huh. Uh, a great leadership experience for people. It's an experience to work with their families and, and do things that they couldn't otherwise. Uh-huh. So yeah, that beneficial cycle, I think, is... I'm glad you brought that up because that's really important here. Mm. And have you ever come across families that go, yes, I think a family champion is absolutely what we need, but there's nobody we can think of that would be good for for doing the role, what would they do in those circumstances? Is it a case of getting some external help or is it a case of helping to mold perhaps somebody who is the best fit into that role over time? This is a great question. And this is actually something I have encountered in a couple of families where they say, wow, we really need somebody like this, but there's no real natural fit or there's nobody who can really do it. Mm. Um, And I'm actually working with a family now where they've had a family champion And she's kind of undergoing a career shift and is going to take on a new role in the family. And we're really looking for somebody else to step up and take that mantle. And they're actually struggling a little bit. And really, it's not because of a lack of talent. They have a great talent pool. It's because of capacity. Okay. People are deeply involved in their careers. You know, this is a strong, motivated, very smart group of people. They're developing their own careers. And they said, I don't know if I can take this on. You know, my career is ascendant. How can I do this? And so we're actually struggling a bit with a logistical question there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in families where maybe there's not a clear family champion or we aren't sure who it will be, sometimes somebody just has to step up and do it. Yeah. Sometimes I have seen families bring in uh, a consultant, you know, a third party to help them kind of make a bridge Uh or to get things off the ground. I actually saw a new one family where they intentionally hired an outside resource to to lead their family council. And that was because nobody from the family could really take on that role without causing some challenges. And they said, position is so important. We need it to be a, you know, a dedicated part-time position. Nobody from the family can do that. Uh So hire somebody again with accountability And our intention then is that that's temporary and that we groom a family member to be able to step into that leadership position. And that's actually part of the job of this, you know, neutral third party is that they develop a family member. 
So it's sort of a bridge to where they can get back to family leadership. But for the time being, it is a non-family member. Mm. And I guess, again, as, as long as everyone's clear at outset that that's the intention, um, that it makes it a, an easier task than um, you know, keeping it a secret. C- come in and try and find somebody who can take on your role within three years um, because uh, it's temporary. But we, we won't tell you who. You've got to, you've got to find that person yourself. Man. Break the news to them. Yeah, it's very clear. It's very above board. You know, there's been a lot of communication there. And that's the expectation now of this non-family, you know, family council chair is that they're not just there forever. They are in X amount of years, you know, expected to help develop somebody and to report to the family on how that's going. Mm. And have you come across any circumstances where, so in the same way as we have um, ownership transition management transition have you had transitions between two family champions where they've got to the sort of end of their role and and to pass on to the next generation or is it too soon in in your studies to to see that no i i definitely have uh you know it's not something i researched just doing the dissertation research i had to to narrow it down but yeah certainly found and i certainly found in my you know professional work with families where one family, you know, that first family champion or whoever it is says, okay, I don't want to do this um, for the for the rest of my life. And actually, there's a benefit to passing the reins to somebody else. Uh-huh. So I've seen a number of transitions to the next family champion. Uh, one woman in her 50s who had played an integral role helping organize her family and clean up the board of directors really said, I need to figure out who's next to do this because I don't want to do it the rest of my life. And I think there's a real benefit to having somebody else do it. Mm. So she's intentionally grooming somebody else from the family. And I think with families, when they get more organized, you know, you kind of have a, a talent pool that you can draw on. And I think that as we raise this role into more consciousness and awareness, people can say, all right, is this something that I would like to do? Mm-hmm. You know, taking on more of a leadership position. In, in one family, they actually transitioned family champions and it didn't quite work. The next leader of the business, I mean, excuse me, the next leader of the family um, really kind of struggled. Uh, they weren't quite fulfilling the role in a way that worked for the family. They were kind of dropping balls. So they actually went back to the first person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and that worked for the family. And I think it yeah. actually made them realize how much the first person had done, uh-huh. how vital they were. And then in their next transition, they said, we're going to be a lot better and and how we approach it. Mm. I think there's actually a a lot of interesting research and more to be found out about, okay, how do we transition family Mm. champions? And what does that leadership position look like in sort of the second generation of family? Even if it's not a different generation, but to say, all right, we've had one, here's the next what is that evolution of leadership in the family? Because uh-huh. you know, the first one may start it from scratch or really have to organize things together. Whereas the second one is stepping into something that's more formalized and organized. Okay, so that's a different situation. I think it's a great question and I'd love to discover more about it. Yeah, and I think as well, what, what would be interesting is your views on whether there is, um, I don't mean a fixed term as in somebody gets 12 months and that's it, but because obviously we know that the, the changes that need to happen um, can take um, decades. But it, it, do you think there's a natural point at which you say, 
now my time has come to an end. So if there isn't, say, a management um, succession or ownership succession at a particular time, that's the time to replace your family champion? Or is that the time you want some stability there to make sure that it's, it, it helps with those transitions? Yeah, I would think that you really want the stability in the family to manage any sort of major transition in the business. Mm. Who transitions at once, family leadership and business leadership, uh, I, I would not recommend that. I think it would be pretty challenging. I think yeah. having the stability in the family helps that business transition. And, you know, this is, this is the type of position where somebody could serve for quite a long time and still really maintain their effectiveness. Yeah. I don't know at what point they would start to become less effective. But, you know, again, speaking with a few family champions where they started to recognize, I think it's time for me to move on. I think the family needs somebody different. I've done my piece and I want to give that opportunity to somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think this is a longer term position overall, recognizing that sometimes new blood, um, you know, new eyes on things can really help revitalize a family that might be plateaued a bit. Yeah. And I think you, you um, touched on a really valid point there that irrespective of the business cycle, having the stability of somebody in that position to kind of help the family navigate whatever else is going on um, is a positive rather than, you know, thinking, right, we're changing owners, let's change the family champion at the same time because um, I can imagine that could be um, carnage in some circumstances uh, and not particularly constructive in others. So um, it's a really interesting um, concept. And, and I guess one of my final questions on, on this side of it is in terms of if, you're, if we're looking at a second to third generation transition, perhaps, as part of the succession planning discussions within the business, do you think it's appropriate to appoint a family champion or start looking at appointing a family champion to help with that, given that it's probably going to get more complex as the ownership passes down into that third generation? Is it a good trigger point, if you like, for people to start thinking, this is something we need? I, I think so. And, and hopefully somebody can do that of their own accord mm. uh, or the family says, wow, we really need somebody in this role who would like to step up into this. Yeah. Uh, I think that with more information such as the book and articles and talking with other families, people can recognize how important the role is yeah. and then, you know, learning from other families about how they've managed that. And again, either step up or have the family say, we need, somebody to do this? How can we encourage and develop somebody um, to move into this role? And, you know, I find a lot of family champions are quite excited about it. Mm. If you have to be dragged into this position, something's wrong, right? This yeah. is, this is, <laughs> people really say of their own accord, okay, this is something I'm excited about. I think I could be good at it. Um, and I want to do it on behalf of my entire family. Mm. Not, it's not a position of personal enrichment. It's a position that is really servant leadership acting on behalf of the entire family. Yeah. And I find there's a certain type of person who says, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you say, the, the, the benefits of it should never leave it feeling like a chore um, because it's not something that, oh, fine, if I have to. It's kind of, yes, let's embrace the opportunity of what this can bring to um, the family and, and taking that role on with enthusiasm. 
very much because where family champions start, they just start doing it commonly, uh-huh. you know, they're taking on uh, just because of their own accord, their own motivation and their own desire to see the family succeed. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, in, in terms of, um, I, I normally ask people these um, question towards the, the end of the recording. Um, I, I may be able to guess your answer, but if you had one tip to pass on to a family business, what would it be? It would be to invest in your family owners the same way you invest in the business. Um, you know, okay. have a strategic plan for the business. I think you need a strategic plan for the family. And I think that that development work and I think that leadership in the family is as important as leadership in the business. Uh And that developing and investing in your group of family owners is an investment in your entire system. It's an investment in the business too. Uh By investment, you know, it's, it's time, it's energy, it's space and finances as well to help support the efforts of, of family development. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and you mentioned um, the, um, the initial PhD study you did has now um, been turned into a book. Um, so where can people find um, the book and, and some more information about you? And I think it's important to point out our, our audience is family businesses and their advisors as well. So if any advisors are listening to this and are thinking actually that, that resonates with some of the scenarios that I'm in um, and I, I need to, to look more into um, uh, how, how we go about appointing family champions, you have written a book about it. So um, if we can direct people there, that'd be great. Yeah. And, you know, during the dissertation, I said, oh, I think this could be a book, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's really good material here. And so once I started working in the field and I, I teamed up with a colleague from the family business consulting group, and we really helped develop the idea beyond just family champions, but to also expand to the concept of a champion family. And I recognize mm-hmm. we don't have time for that here, but the, the nutshell is family champions create champion families. Uh-huh. Everything we've talked about with sort of individual leadership helps create long-lasting, you know, successful families. And these champion families have these characteristics. Yeah. So the book is called Family Champions and Champion Families. It's written for family members and advisors. Uh-huh. Um, it's about 110 pages. You know, it's relatively accessible on a plane flight. We wanted it to be the type of book people could pick up. There's good graphics get some of the basic concepts and then dig deeper when they want, you know, uh-huh. time. Um, so a lot of case studies and just examples of things. So hopefully it's, it's pretty accessible. Uh, the best place to find it is on Amazon. Uh-huh. And uh, my, my one plug or one, my one ask if anybody gets the book and likes it to leave a review because yeah. it really helps build the credibility and lets people know, yeah, this book is valuable and, I got something out of it. Uh-huh. And if you're happy for us to do so, we'll link that up in the show notes as well. So people can uh, click on the link in the show notes. It'll take you straight to where you can, uh, where you can get the book. That would be great. And, and again, I think we really tried to use a lot of visuals, a lot of graphics uh-huh. and tried to get these concepts really consolidated so people can get it. Then they can read more and they can also take it back to their families. Yeah. Hey, what are we doing? Well, where else do we need to do better? And, and here's some ideas for us to think about 
and adapt. Yeah. Uh, I think these concepts, they're not one size fits all. It's very much what, it, what does the book get you thinking about and what applies to your unique family situation. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, as I say, we'll link that up in the show notes. Um, we'll also put details of how um, people can get in touch with you. But again, what's the best way? Is it? Um, I think we got in touch via LinkedIn um, via actually um, Steve Legler um, suggested that we uh, we have a chat. Um, so I'm I'm very pleased that he did. Um, but if other people want to get in touch, what's the best way of doing so? Uh, probably the best way is through the Family Business Consulting Group. Mm-hmm. Um, is my last name, which is Noct, N-A-C-H-T, at the F-B-C-G, so T-H-E-F-B-C-G.com. Uh, that email is probably the best way. And then, you know, I'd be happy to set up a phone call uh, with people too to, to further talk about these ideas yeah. and how to apply to your family. Yeah, because I think it's such a great idea and, and you've obviously – um, researched it and and have um, live experiences and, and uh, examples that people can tap into. So I would encourage, I don't want to bombard you with requests, but I would encourage our audience to, to get in touch if they do feel that it would be of use. It's something I'm passionate about. Uh, I think it's really important for family enterprises. And, you know, if I can help raise the awareness of the role and the function and how it can be done well, um, I think that that's part of um, my sense of purpose in, in helping families out. And I, I think this role can make a real difference. And I'm excited to, to talk about it and help other families succeed. Fantastic. Um, Josh, thank you very much for your time and um, insights today. I think it's a, a brilliant concept. Um, it's something that I'm going to um, take into my own work with um, families. So thank you um, for that. And uh, thank you for your time today. Absolutely, Russ. Thank you. Uh, Great questions. And this has been a fun conversation together. Thank you. I hope you found this episode useful. If you have, then why not share it with your family and see what they think? I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business. So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.